Good evening. It is so good to be together. Sunday nights are special. What a blessing it is to come and worship God. If you're a guest, thank you so much for being with us. Tonight will continue to be special as we'll have an ice cream supper following uh, this service and it's a homemade ice cream supper and there are many of you that we owe a big thank you for spending the afternoon making homemade ice cream. Uh, we will enjoy that and we truly thank you for doing that. We want to invite everyone to stay for that and we also want to ask you if you'll work with us. This isn't a big deal but it'll be a, a little bit change in some of your schedule but since there's ice cream out back this ought to be real easy to pull off. Uh, after the amen is said uh, we need to do some filming in this room for Vacation Bible School. And so as quickly as you could exit this room, the better for that group that needs to video some things. But again, that ought to not be hard to get you to leave when there's ice cream out there and not in here. So uh, we, we thank you for working with us in that. And with that in mind, just one more time, invite, pray, support, do whatever you can do over the next few days to help uh, with Vacation Bible School. And if you're a young person, we want to encourage you to come and to attend. We want to encourage our young people to be good to the other young people from the community uh, that will come. Uh, it ought to not just be the adults that are making the others feel welcome, but obviously it ought to be their peers. And you do a great job at that every year. And we just want to give you the reminder uh, that we want this to be a blessing for us as a church family, but we want it to be a blessing for all that would also come. If you want to be opening your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 8th chapter, we'll continue our mailbox series. And if you need to borrow a Bible that's there in the pew, it'll be about 1,029. Uh, 1,029. Steve Higginbotham, that is now preaching at the Carnes congregation up in East Tennessee, just before he was there, he went on a Holy Lands tour. And as he was there, he came back and he wrote about something that really stood out in my mind. And I think even at the time, uh, back some time ago, I shared this with you, but I couldn't help but think about this again as we go into 2 Corinthians, the eighth chapter tonight and study just the first few verses tonight. He described that the fact that there were many things that he saw there in the Holy Lands that helped him see things from a biblical perspective just a little bit differently since he was able to walk and to physically be in that environment and to see those sights. And he said one of the things that stood out to him the most was the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. And the stark difference there is in the two. The Sea of Galilee still is alive with fish and fishermen are all upon the tops of those waters making a living, catching the fish. And around is lush vegetation all around the beautiful Sea of Galilee. He said it just was a lively place, activity, productivity. But then not far away was the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea has nothing in it alive. Because of that, there are no fishermen, of course, in the Dead Sea. And also, all around the banks of the Dead Sea is nothing. If anything would have been there, it's dead now, you see. The Dead Sea. And what's interesting is, it's not that these two bodies of water are in different parts of the world. They're really relatively pretty close together. Now, if you don't know this, you're going to be amazed at this. And it's not that they're fed from different streams of water. Both of them are fed by the Jordan River. 
close proximity, the same waters flowing into them, but yet one is lively and one is completely dead. What's the difference? Many of you already know the difference. The difference is the Sea of Galilee has an outlet. What comes in is able to go forth out from it. And the sea of, and the Dead Sea is, is of such low elevation that all of the Jordan River that flows into it stops right there. The water is not shared with any other location on earth. Friends, it doesn't matter if we're talking about nature or if we're talking about spiritual life. You want to create death. You become a taker and stop being a giver. Tonight, you may think, is he preaching this because he wants the contribution to go up? This isn't about a budget. But if you're not giving as you ought to give, I want you to see that tonight what you're missing is you're missing the opportunity to be alive. And I'm not just talking about the plate when it comes around on Sunday. I'm talking about in every aspect of your life. There are people that you can look at them and their life is lively. And I'm not just talking about energy. I'm talking about productivity. I'm talking about the people around them, how they make a difference in other people's lives. There are people that you could honestly describe their life as lively. And there are people that you could describe their life as dead. Their life seems to have no productivity. They seem to not bless anybody around them. And it is the very same thing as these two bodies of water. All of us have things flowing into us. But the question is, with all of the resources and the life and the health and the energy and the opportunities that God gives us, how many of us make sure that we're constantly pushing those things out? We're nothing more than a conduit. Whenever we become a reservoir, whenever we become a place where the blessings stop, we're slowly becoming dead. Let's read this together. 2 Corinthians, the eighth chapter. I love 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It's some of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And, and, and the reason I'm saying that to you is it's just from a heart that says, if you haven't learned the beauty of the spiritual maturation process of loving the opportunity to give, as you study through the mailbox series this week, reading 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, I want you to read it with an optimistic view that says, what is it that I can learn about giving that will make my spiritual life different? Because giving ultimately is not about dollars and cents, although it very well may include that we're giving dollars and cents. Giving is about a person, a heart. It's about who we are. Let's read about these people that they're being petitioned even back when the letter of 1 Corinthians was written that there had been a famine down in Judea and Paul wanted many of the Gentile churches, churches that were primarily Gentile, to take up a collection. They weren't in that part of the famine and he wanted them to take up a collection and send down the help to there. And so he's already talked to them in 1 Corinthians about this and now he writes two chapters to them about giving in 2 Corinthians and what he's wanting to do is make a difference in this famine, but he's also wanting to create a greater strength of unity that the Gentile churches are reaching out and helping the, the, the churches with a Jewish background. And so notice what he says in, in the eighth chapter. Of course, he's writing to the people of Corinth, trying to get them to give as they ought to give, but he's going to use the example of the Macedonians. So we begin reading in verse one. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you 
the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. And when he talks about the grace here that's bestowed, he's not just talking about the blood of Jesus, although that's one of the greatest demonstrations of grace we've ever received. Here, he's just talking about grace, the generous gifts. He says, I want to talk to you just a moment about the generous gifts that God has given to the church at Macedonia. Okay, so God's given to them. Let's read in verse two, because at first it doesn't sound so generous. Verse two, listen to these extremes that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Now we're gonna come back to verse two in just a minute, but let's go ahead and get this in our mind. Verse three, for I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but that they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Did you notice those extremes in verse two? The people of Macedonia were in a trial. Now, I want you to imagine you going through a day where someone says, hey, how's your day going? You say, I'm going through a day that's kind of filled with trials. Hmm. I was hoping you'd say, great, that's tough. It's going through a trial. And you say, no, it's not just a trial. I'm going through a great trial. Oh, so this isn't just a bad day. This is something really significant. Yes. Oh, but wait a minute. It's not just a great trial. It's a great trial of affliction. In other words, this great trial is creating tremendous pain in my life. Now you'd expect somebody to be in that situation and say, that must be horrible. Notice the very next phrase, the abundance of their joy. Did I read that sentence right? How can you be in great trial of affliction and say, oh, no, wait, but just because the Macedonians are going through a great trial of affliction, they still have joy. And it's not somebody else's joy. Well, I'm glad that you guys can be happy. He says, no, it's their joy. And he doesn't just say it's their joy. He says it is the abundance. Abundance is the idea of full and running over. So here are people that their life is full and running over of their own joy and they are in great trial of affliction. How can that happen? Well, let's read the rest of it. We see one more set of extremes here and their deep poverty. Someone says, oh, I, I hate to hear that the Macedonians were in poverty. History tells us that they had already suffered three civil wars at this time. And when we read in Thessalonica, we find out that they were going through harsh persecution that probably was leading to more of the poverty. And so we find out not only are they in poverty, they are in deep poverty. But notice this deep poverty, we have another extreme that they don't seem like they go together. He says from this deep poverty, abounded, something is going to overflow from this deep poverty. Oh, I'll tell you what's going to overflow. They're going to be mad. They're going to be mean people. They're going to be pointing their finger at God because they've already had great trial of affliction and now they're in deep poverty and they, they are going to be so mad at life. No, no, they're not mad at life. They have a joy that is abounding. And in their deep poverty, there's even something that has abounded from their deep poverty. Notice what has abounded. 
the riches of their liberality. Listen, I need to realize that if I'm going to have a lively life versus a dead life, a lively life remains generous no matter what the circumstance. A lively life remains generous no matter what the circumstance. I hope that you and I see that we never need to look for a reason not to give. That we ought to look at opportunities, we ought to look at our life, we ought to look at our energy, we ought to look at the resources that God gives us, and we ought to be able to see that there is always a way to be generous with what we have. Do you realize this evening that generosity has nothing to do with how wealthy or how poor someone is? Now, you may be limited to how much you can give based upon what your net worth is, but generosity has nothing to do with how much you have or how much you do not have. You go to a third world country and most of the time you're going to learn what real generosity is. Third world countries, they don't have a nature about them that is selfish. They don't have that nature, I've got to keep it for myself, I've got to conserve it. They have a nature that says, I want to give. And you can go into a hut, you can go into a, a makeshift of a house where they don't have enough to eat for the rest of that day and tomorrow, and yet they will give you half of what they have in a little basket just to say thank you. And there's not many people in America that would give half of what they have in order just to say thank you. The only point I'm trying to illustrate to you there is to say that generosity has nothing to do with how much you have. Generosity comes from a heart that says, whatever I have, I may be in deep poverty, but whatever I have, I am going to generously share what I have. You remember when Jesus wanted to teach a powerful lesson on giving, did he teach about a woman that gave millions of dollars? No, when he wanted to teach a powerful lesson on giving, he looked at a woman who gave two mites. And you know, you remember why he used her as an example. It wasn't because two mites was such a large denomination of money. It was because for her, it was all she had. She was generous. So number one, if we're gonna be lively, we give no matter what the circumstances. But notice number two, we need, as we learn in verse three and four, we must, if we're going to be lively, we must give from a willingness of heart. You got to love the fact that in verse three and four, that they, look at the last part of verse three, they were freely willing, and did you notice that in four? Imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift. Do you see what Paul is implying here? In other words, Paul is saying, I didn't ask them. I can, I can almost assure you of this from studying this text kind of inside and out. If you'd have went up to Paul and said, Paul, we're going to collect for the people in Judea, yes. Let's go by the Macedonia and let's collect from them. And you can almost imagine Paul saying, you know, let's, let's leave the Macedonians out of this. They're in such deep poverty. Let's go to some of the larger cities, some of the ones that's thriving. Let's... For example, let's go to Corinth. They, they have money to give. And the people of Macedonia hear of the work. 
And they literally are coming to Paul saying, we want to give. And he uses the words implore and he uses the word urgency. In other words, they approach this to say, we're going to give and we're going to give right now. Now, why did they want to do that? When you look at the end of verse four, you get an idea of what kind of heart they had. They wanted Paul to receive the gift that would ultimately be taken down to Judea. And notice the rest of four. And the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. These people love the church. They love brothers and sisters in Christ. And they wanted to share in the fellowship of doing something good for the brethren. I hope you love the church. I hope you're a part of it. But I hope you love her. We're the body of Christ. We are the only body on earth that's been bought by the blood of Christ. We're the only ones that belong to God because we have chosen to give ourselves to him and by his grace, he's chosen to adopt us. I hope you love the church. And when you know that the church has a need, I hope that you and I look a lot like the Macedonians, that we would go and we would be urgent in our request to give. In other words, lively people do not wait to be asked. Lively people ask to give. But did you notice something that, I couldn't help but smile as I studied this this week. Look at, look at verse three. For I bear witness, and there's a reason why. If you, if you didn't pick up on it when we read it a while ago, there's a reason why he says I bear witness here. He says, I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they freely willing to give. Did you catch what he's saying there? Uh, Paul, I understand that you've been taking up collections. I understood you, you took up a collection from the people of Macedonia. Sure did. How much did they give, Paul? Uh, they gave what they were able to, and they gave beyond what they were able to. Do what, Paul? I bear witness. I know it sounds strange, but I saw it with my own eyes. They gave more than they were able to give. What a testimony. So oftentimes we say, we want everybody to give as you're able. And he literally says, I saw it with my own eyes. They gave more than they were able to give. You want to see the miracles rerun when you get to heaven? Lord, show me on the big screen in the sky. I want to see feeding of the 5,000. What do you want to see? You know what I want to see? I want to see the Macedonians. Lord, will you replay that? I want to see what it looks like for people in great affliction to have great joy. I want to see what it looks like for people in deep poverty to give abundantly and not only give so generously that when Paul, writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says not only did they give beyond, not only did they give what they were able, they gave beyond what they were able. How can you give more than you're able to give? Listen, this is the only way you can do it. You have to be a willing Freely willing giver, as he says at the end of this verse. A freely willing giver. Lively givers give no matter what the circumstances. Lively givers are willing. They don't wait to be asked. They love the opportunity to give. But then finally, we've got to see this point because it is literally the foundation for the other points that have already been stated. Lively givers... First, 
give themselves to God. You know, you might say, I don't understand how people in deep poverty could do this. If you underline things in your Bible, you really need to underline a lot of verse five. And not only as we had hoped, notice this, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. And then to us by the will of God. Paul, how were they able to give you so much to take down to Judea? And he said, well, we received the second gift. These poor people gave to somebody else first? Yes, they did. They first gave themselves to God. When we realize that we are God's people because we have given ourselves to God, that means everything we are. That means every day we live. That means every resource we have. When we say, Lord, here I am. And what I have is because you have floated into my life and I'm giving it back to you. Use me, use the resources, whoever, whatever I am. Lord, I give myself freely to you. Then we can give freely to other causes and works and etc. We're going to have a lot of opportunities to give with Vacation Bible School coming up this week. A lot of opportunities to give of our time and of our heart. A lot of opportunities to sacrifice, maybe even some opportunities to give financially. But I want to encourage you to realize that this generous giving that we're talking about is not just an exercise that sets out here isolated by itself. It is the result of anyone that first gives themselves to the Lord. Paul that wrote this was also the one that remembered and quoted what is sometimes called that forgotten beatitude of Jesus. You remember in Acts 20 and 35, that beatitude is not found anywhere in the Gospels where we have so many of Jesus' words recorded. But there in Acts 20 and 35, we have just a few red letter words right there in the middle of Acts. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul recognized that. I'd like for you to take everything that we've just studied and maybe we've learned it, maybe we've been reminded of it, and I'd like for us to close by reading one verse together. It's still on your opening there probably. Look at 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. I'd like for you to think about what we have just read. How does it work if we apply what we have just studied to 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6? But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. What if an individual gives not just a little bit of themselves, not just the Sunday version of themselves, not just the Sunday and Wednesday night version of themselves, 
Not just when they're at home version. What if somebody gives generously? What if they sow their whole self and they give generously all that they are? They freely give themselves to God. What does God say he does? Based on how you sow will be based on how you reap. Some people's lives look dead. Other people's lives look alive and abundant. Some people have generously gave themselves to God. And some people haven't. Tonight, where are you spiritually? Have you invested the only part God wants? All God wants from you is all of you. That's all He wants. He just wants all of you. Have you given that? If you haven't, you've probably found yourself in that civil war. You found yourself in that battle back and forth. You probably found yourself where Christianity makes you miserable sometimes. It's because perhaps you've sowed a little and you reaped a little. Tonight, I don't know if this is a decision you can make in one sermon, but I ask you to at least take and study it over. Would your life be different if you gave all of yourself to the Lord and held nothing back? I was in a one-on-one -on -one study one time and shared this with an individual. And they sat in silence for a good while. And when they spoke up, and when he looked up, he looked me in the eye and he said, that's scary. So what do you mean that's scary? He said, that's kind of like out of control. To really just hand it all over to God and not hold anything back? It is. Lord, my life's no longer about me. I want you to be in control. I hand it over to you. I hope that doesn't sound foreign to you tonight. And I hope all of us are moving closer to that every day of our life. If you're ready to be immersed or restored, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing. On